session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dhulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. However, if you do call, I ask that all questions be directed towards my guest tonight, who I will introduce to you shortly and be about the topic that we're going to talk about, which I'll also introduce to you. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook uh, to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. Let me introduce you to our guest tonight. If you've listened to the show before, you've heard her a few times before. Very happy to have her again. It's Dr. Jennifer Galvin, who is a licensed clinical psychologist. She has a private practice in Woodland Hills. She received her Bachelor of Arts from San Diego State University, where she majored in psychology. And then she earned a master's degree and a PhD in clinical psychology from Alliance International University. That's actually where we met. We were classmates there. She went on to obtain advanced clinical training in psychoanalytic psychotherapy at the New Center for Psychoanalysis, where she earned a certificate in psychoanalytic psychoanalytic psychotherapy. And her office number is 818-538-5236. Dr. Galvin, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm so excited to be here. We're very happy to have you. Thank you. And although... I know you're excited to be here. We're talking about a topic that might be a little bit darker or might, people might think of as more of a downer, but I think it's a very important one, one that I talk about a lot. Um, and even the title of what we're going to talk about might surprise some people to hear that we're going to talk about the value of depression. Because I think to some people hearing that there's value in something that we consider an illness or sometimes people think of as just a negative thing can be surprising. Um, but that's why I think it is so important for us to talk about how there actually can be a value in depression. So maybe you can give us a starting point of what even makes this an important topic to you. I know even personally working with my clients, I've seen how we can treat negative feelings in general, but then something like depression in such a negative way. Um, so I don't know if you had some thoughts about even what made this an important topic for you that you wanted to talk about tonight. Yeah, this is actually a topic that has been on my mind for several months now. And I've gone to several seminars and done a lot of research on this topic and mm -hmm. found some interesting things that are not really what we're used to hearing or perspectives that we're not used to considering in regards to the topic of depression. And so I thought it's a really important topic for us to talk about and become comfortable with. Um, you know, depression is such a difficult thing that so mm -hmm. many people go through and experience, whether it's situational or, you know, over a longer period of time. And there actually truly is a value in that state of depression or melancholy. And I think our society has conditioned us 
to try to stay away from the dark or negative feelings as much as possible. And if they come up, it's assumed to be very pathological and Mm -hmm. we're very quick to want to fix it, whether it's with antidepressants or, you know, just quickly going to therapy or just finding ways to avoid or distract ourselves from that darkness. And, you know, our, we're raised basically in a society where we emphasize productivity and um, creativity and being constructive and positive. And, you know, there's really no space in our culture to acknowledge the darkness or the depression. Mm -hmm. And it really leaves a big gap in our society in terms of our mental health and what comes up for us because there's really no space for that to exist and be accepted in society. Right. And I think it's, uh, you know, like I said, to hear value in depression for a lot of people can seem like an oxymoron because we think of it as something negative that we're just supposed to get rid of as soon as it comes about. Uh, At the same time, I'll I'll just make this maybe like cautionary note that depression is a serious mental illness that does at times require intervention, um, psychiatric medication, psychotherapy, even in extreme cases, hospitalization. So by talking about a value in depression, we're in no way undermining the suffering that people go through and the fact that people do indeed need help often that we want to make sure they receive, but also recognizing that even while you're getting the help or while you're getting treatment or even part of treatment can be recognizing that there could be a value or that we don't want to just think of the depression as this bad thing that came and let's just erase it or remove it. Right. We don't want to just get rid of it. Right. That we can actually learn. Sometimes I talk about, you know, what we think of as quote unquote negative feelings, kind of like physical pain where you don't want to just take a painkiller. If you feel pain, you want to understand why is it hurting? Cause that could be telling you something similarly at times when we're feeling down, if we just ignore the feelings, mask it, try to get rid of them, we might miss some really important information that can be there and some potential even growth that could be there if we allow it to to sit with it a bit or to actually go into the darkness, as you were saying, instead of just running away from it. Right. And I think that, you know, because it's such a stigmatized topic that we really don't discuss it very much. And so we try to cover it up however we can, whether it's mm-hmm. drugs, alcohol, you know, entertaining ourselves in other ways, avoiding it. And if we actually allow some space for it to exist and we make it a topic of conversation that's not uncomfortable or unusual, we may start to notice that a lot of other people may be having similar experiences and similar feelings. But again, as I mentioned, there's really no space for these feelings to be normalized and Mm -hmm. accepted in our society as a whole. And so we all kind of tend to carry it within ourselves alone. And it really creates a bigger struggle. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot harder to get out of that state or even find the value in that state when you're completely alone. So I agree. I think it's absolutely a very, very serious um, feeling. And I think that there needs to be treatment for it. And we'll talk a little bit about that later, Mm -hmm. about what a therapist's job may be Mm -hmm. um, when working with someone with depression. But if we can just kind of veer away from the norm of how depression would be treated and you know, the way it's looked at and we take a different perspective on tonight's show about what the value in that state can be. Mm-hmm. And we can just get another another perspective of what it can offer us. Yeah, I think um, it's important to recognize how common it is also. And we were talking a bit about this before the show 
about how there is this like obsession with happiness in today's culture, especially in Western culture, even I think even more maybe in Los Angeles culture of everything is good, everything is positive, you're always feeling blessed, you're always feeling grateful, you only feel good. Mm-hmm. And not acknowledging that sometimes we feel bad, sometimes you have a bad day, sometimes you don't even know why. Or sometimes people think, well, what do you have to be depressed about? I hear that a lot from parents, from people. If you have money, if you have things you need, why would you ever be depressed? And there's people that are depressed of every socioeconomic background. Yes, the more stress in your life it can contribute, but it doesn't mean that any group is immune to that. And the analogy I like to sometimes use when it comes to sadness and then even depression is it's as if if we said sleeping was something bad because it's better to be productive and be awake. So we all had to hide from each other that we go to sleep because it's better to be productive and why waste time sleeping, even though it's a natural human thing that has value, but we felt that it was a bad thing. So we hide it from each other. And sometimes we can see depression and sadness the same way that it's something that's a part of being human, a part of life. And that it would actually be better if we all could accept it and talk about it and even share it with each other rather than feel like we have to keep our dark feelings and dark spots away from each other. Right. I mean, we're afraid of the judgment that we'll Mm -hmm. get. And Mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, I think the more we open up and talk about this topic, we'll see that a lot of people go through similar experiences. And to be able to acquire the support from our friends and family and those around us to really get through this state and really be in this state, it would really help us in in the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another thing we were talking about before the show is how, you know, this conditioning about depression and sadness starts at a really young age. So we see babies or kids crying and parents tend to say things like, don't cry. What are you crying for? You don't have any reason to be upset. Mm -hmm. And so we start conditioning them at such a young age to not feel sad or feeling sad is a, is wrong or it's not acceptable. And I think a lot of times this can come from um, the parent's own inability to tolerate the sadness. Mm-hmm. It's difficult for parents to see their kids going through that or they feel helpless in those situations. And so, you know, one thing that I mindfully try to practice with my own children is allowing the space for them to feel sad whether it's for a reason that I can see and understand or not, Mm -hmm. there is a reason that they're upset. And so it becomes just about holding and supporting instead of fixing or trying to take away from. So sometimes I will just hold them while they cry, however long that takes. And Mm -hmm. I just, I'm there with them while they cry with no words, no action, no trying to talk them out of it or change the situation Um, And and allowing space for them to have moments where they're in a bad mood or they're Mm -hmm. feeling depressed, you know, even the same as adults when we have bad moods and we're not in a good, good mood or we're upset that day. It's just, oh, you know, you're having a you're having a moment or you're having a bad day. You're upset today. That's okay. So creating space for these other feelings to exist Mm -hmm. rather than expecting them to always be how we want them to be. Right. Yeah. I think, as you said, that to me is a big marker of mental health is our tolerance for negative feelings. Sometimes we don't think about that. We just think it's about feeling good. But our tolerance for negative feelings means we're less likely to also be impulsive or, you know, turn to ways of getting away from our feelings that we can say, you know what, I don't feel good, but I can tolerate that. And as I think you very uh, rightly said, if as a parent, you don't have tolerance for your own sad feelings, you're not going to have tolerance for your kids' sad feelings, unfortunately. Well, I think also in our culture as a whole, we don't really like to go down or inward. Mm. Um, We want everything pretty fast paced and solutions giving to us and everything goes up and out. 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking everything has to be productive and out in the world. And so for somebody to value going inward and down and into the darkness is something quite unusual mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. our culture. And so we're not raised that way. We're not spoken to that way. We're not taught that that's okay. And so part of the value of depression is that, to create space for yourself to go inward into the darkness instead of avoiding going down and into the darkness as a way of trying to feel happy or okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important for for us to acknowledge. Absolutely. I think, um, like you said, there's this focus on the out. It reminds you of actually you were on the, the show a while ago, but talking about how uh, having uh, introverted kids and how that, like, you know, being more in and there's this mm-hmm. bias towards being out. But yeah, there's this bias towards positivity and happiness and light and good and those things we think are something, you know, pleasant and positive. And then like the quote unquote negative we think of as just something to avoid. Why would you go into the darkness? And maybe in the next segment we can talk about the value of going into the darkness. But first, to even allow ourselves to do that, we have to remove the judgment that being sad makes me bad or being sad makes me weak or being sad is something that has to be avoided at all costs. Or that it's wrong. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times I see parents telling their kids, well, don't think about it. Don't think about that if it makes you upset. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, why are you focusing on the things that make you depressed? And, you know, it's it's important for the, again, for there to be space for all of these experiences and feelings to exist. And you cannot just avoid parts of yourself or the darkness. It's like every person has a shadow. And if we avoid the fact that there is a shadow and try to only focus on the light, it doesn't always work out that way because it's mm-hmm. unreal and unrealistic. So it's really, really important that we take in and create space for all of these feelings to exist. Absolutely. And I think you were talking before about not going into those feelings. And we do that in so many ways. And one way I see that a lot is distracting ourselves, for example, using our phones. And I I talk about this a lot on my show that people are not going on their phones all the time to do something productive, but it's just a way to make sure they don't actually get connected to themselves. Like they don't want to feel what they're feeling. So they just go on their Instagram feed for the 50th time, even though they know there's nothing new on there, just to to distract and avoid. Having the radio on in the car Mm -hmm. or people walk in, just turn the TV on, they sleep with the TV on. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all ways to distract ourselves from having to feel any of the dark feelings feelings that exist inside. Yeah. And I think that's something that even comes up in therapy. I, sometimes clients will come in and they're talking about their sadness or the depression or negative things. And of course, in a way we're there to help them, but sometimes you get the sense they just want you to, well, how do I take this away? How do we get rid of this? And what we'll get into in the next segment, I think is helping them recognize the value that could be in that sadness, that we're not just going to try to erase those feelings. We're actually going to go you know, there's, I think Jung said it, I'm not sure the only way out is through. Sometimes you have to go into the feeling to actually even get out of it really, but to get something out of it as well. Right. I mean, I think that's why a lot of people may try therapy for a few sessions and then they say it doesn't work Mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not feeling any better. Or even sometimes it's uh, contradictory where, um, you know, we, people start therapy and they end up feeling worse than they did when they started. And so, you know, part of the process of therapy is to help the person really go into those places of darkness Mm -hmm. rather than avoid them. 
and allow them to find the value in it and the message in it, the meaning inside of their own depression because mm-hmm. it's specific to them. So we can talk a little bit more about what that process might look like. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, that um, going into it and getting the value because it's not, I, I talked about this last week, actually, it came up, but saying how it's not that we want you to be sad, but it's that if those feelings are there, one, like you're saying, there's a value in in getting connected to them. But then also when you avoid them, they're still there and they can actually affect you negatively in how you live your life without you being aware of them. So it's about if you avoid them, they don't go away. And there's also value in them if you actually well, face them. that. And I think also a huge, huge topic that I've been reading a lot about is somatic, somaticizing mm-hmm. these feelings. So we avoid them on an emotional, psychological level, but they get stored into the molecules of our body mm-hmm. and then they cause physical conditions that are again messages from the body they're there the physical messages are there to tell us what we are avoiding or what's going on emotionally or psychologically and we're just storing it in the body instead of dealing with them as mm-hmm. they arise yeah the, there's a book um it was the book of the week like i don't know maybe two months ago that the title i just love because i think it's so telling related to what you're saying it was specifically about trauma but uh, the body keeps the score and so this the this concept that even if you don't realize your feelings or what's going on, your body is holding on to it. So you might try to avoid it, but you don't get away from them. And so we'll talk a bit more about um, the value of depression, but also what treatment might look like and how, although people might think they go to therapy to erase the feelings, part of what the therapist does might not be exactly that. It might help you go more into that feeling. So I'm joined tonight by licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Jennifer Galvin, and we're talking about the value of depression. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Joining me tonight, licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Jennifer Galvin. We are talking about the value of depression, and later we're going to talk a bit about therapy and the therapist's role and even what therapy might look like or some themes related to that. Um, But we wanted to talk a bit about when we experience a trauma. Sometimes, of course, it's going to happen in life that unexpected things, unplanned things can happen to us that can be really obviously hurtful and painful when we're talking about a trauma. And there's no one way to respond to anything, but there's definitely no one way to respond to a trauma. But oftentimes, it does involve a process of healing, potentially grieving, um, different type of things that we have to go through. And people sometimes might feel like, again, because they want to avoid the negative feelings, it's better if they get, quote unquote, get over it quickly, rather than sometimes go through the experience of healing and growing that might happen through the process of recovering from the trauma. And so I know you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's uh, important to mention that depression can come on in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people will develop a subtle version of depression that starts, it starts building over time. So we might start feeling sad or irritable or not really into things the way that we used to be. And then it may progress from there and we may not even know where it came from. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's other times when there's a trauma or something significant kind of falls upon us without our choice or participation in it. So sometimes things like that would include the recent wildfires that occurred or something like the World Trade Centers and the trauma around that or earthquakes or death of a loved one. Um, Those are all examples of events 
that occur that are really traumatic and you know that it's hard for our minds to understand or make sense of it mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. may lead to a lot of questions like why me or why is why is this happening to me you know questions where there's not really an answer for and they're valid questions to carry when such trauma hits you know you lose your home in a fire it's like why did this happen to me and not the next door neighbor and so it, it, it and it initiates a state of trauma and with that comes um, a sense of depression that can, like I mentioned, look different for each person. But essentially, it, the person that feels depressed in these states or conditions really are feel as though they're between a rock and a hard place, as in they can't really get out of where they are. You know, there might be a lot of people around them, a lot of support available to them, but it may not feel that way to them. It may feel like everyone's far away or removed. And, you know, a great way to describe this feeling of depression is like you're looking at the opposite end of a telescope. So you have a very narrowed or tunnel vision perspective of life. And so that's, you know, as Dr. Holoquy mentioned in the beginning of the show, um, a lot of times people around you, if you're feeling depressed, might say, but look, you have all of these great mm-hmm, things going mm-hmm. on. But when you're in a state of depression, it may not be so easy to see those things or even feel those positive things in your life. So it's really important that we consider that as a perspective or a mm-hmm. picture of someone that's depressed because we tend to pr- project our own vision, you know, there's all these things going on in your life and they may not feel that way. So, um, you know, it creates a state of depression and a lot of times after such traumatic events, it can take years to rebuild oneself or to really come out the other end, you know, to go through it and come Mm -hmm. out of it. You know, sometimes it can take eight to 10 years to rebuild yourself. And so it's, it's a process. And I think the essence of what we're talking about tonight is to really value the process Mm -hmm of depression instead of trying to just remove it, eliminate it, fix it. And, you know, as difficult as it is now, it it may sound unusual to say embrace the sadness, embrace the depression, embrace the darkness. It's really a process and there is a value that comes from going through that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think even sometimes when people say getting over it, I don't like that term or or going back to normal. I think it's a lot of times after a trauma, people do want to have some of the routines come back because that can feel good. But sometimes after a trauma, life never should be the same. Sometimes something has changed so significantly in life that it won't ever be the same. If you were married and your husband or wife dies, life won't ever be the same. And maybe it doesn't have to be. It doesn't mean life has to be bad or life has to you know, be horrible, but it might never be the same. And if you try to make it feel like it did before the trauma happened, you might be trying to force, you know, it's like forcing broken pieces back to like make a hole again that it wasn't. You might have to make a new type of future for yourself and that's that can be okay. And you can still have a meaningful life. But people, I think, sometimes think, well, life should be like it was before this thing happened. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that might not be possible. Maybe it can be, but it might not be. And we might have to be able to come to terms with that, that life will be different. Um, people sometimes will talk about you know, losing a loved one, especially like losing like a child. Your life will never be the same. And it's understandable right. that it's not. And that, I think, could be an unfortunate thing that people sometimes put that pressure on someone. Well, you know, I, I hate to even say this, like, well, you have other kids, so why would you be sad if one of your kids died? It's like, come on, like, how could you actually say that? But we want people just to get over it, or give it and time; okay. you'll get used to it, right? Which is not the case. Yeah, and it might, and it might be, 
you know, time does heal, but it doesn't mean it heals as in the wound goes away. It doesn't leave a scar. There could always be a scar there and that might be you now and that could be okay, but it's to make sure we don't ignore that. Like you said, it's not just about getting to some result. The process itself can be very meaningful. I think too, you know, a decay occurs after such trauma or a state of depression and the decay happens internally. And so the person goes through a process where they erode and decay inside and they have to be broken and fall apart to some degree in order to then be able to find those parts of themselves and rebuild so when one when and once they rebuild themselves Mm -hmm. they may not look the way they did before the trauma and mm-hmm. it's not really about that. It's not about going back to the way it was. It's just about rebuilding oneself after such thing occurs. Right. Yeah. There's like the, there could even be growth. You might be different doesn't mean good or bad. It can just be different. Um, but allowing yourself to go through that. And so I'll see this a lot. People will say, um, oh, I went to this funeral and the daughter of the woman who died, she was so strong. You know, she didn't cry at all. She was so strong. And people will praise someone in a way for appearing that they're unaffected by what happened or that they're no longer sad about it. And I don't like to say, well, everyone has to cry or you have to do it this certain way. But I don't like that we emphasize that if you don't cry, that's strong, which means if you cried, you were weak or that it's good to do this or good to do that because it doesn't allow people the process to go through things or even after a breakup, I've talked with people and like, oh, you know, me and this person broke up and he cried for a long time and I didn't. So somehow like they won the exchange or something right. where it's like, you know, actually somebody's going through that process of letting yourself feel and heal and grow is going to be much better than not letting yourself feel things just to be okay. Because again, I'm the strong winner rather than the person who actually goes through the experience. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to immerse yourself in that state of Mm -hmm. depression or melancholy and, you know, trying not to swim against the current Mm. because that's really difficult. And so if you just go with the flow of it, as cliche as that might sound, if you immerse yourself into the feeling that you're experiencing, it's already there. So if you allow yourself to go inward and into it, you may start to notice that over a period of time, your own mind, your own psyche will come up with the solution and it, eventually will create a larger state of consciousness, a larger space for you to exist in, a larger range of emotions, feelings, experiences, strength. And all of that has to come from within yourself. And unless you allow yourself to really submerge into the depression, there's really no space for that to naturally occur. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, you look at most people, um, people that we admire, almost always they went through some challenges and hardships that they grew from that made them into who they became and who they are. And it's not that we have to create them in our lives or create them for someone else. Life will be challenging. Life is difficult. But we see how people, at least I can think of many people that I admire, it's because when they went through something, they went into it. And because of that, they came out of it stronger rather than avoiding the pain or avoiding what happened. And like you said, maybe you come out, you grow in a different way or you're reborn almost in a way, sometimes through a trauma or through a wound. But you can't do that unless you go in and actually let yourself feel the pain. You have to earn it. Yeah, right. You have to work for it and earn it in order to really get that. You know, a lot of times the solutions we come up with are Band-Aids on a wound. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it may work temporarily. And then over a period of time, we're back to the same state or the same 
feelings or the same problem that we had initially. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, really immersing yourself in it and going through the darkness and the pain of it and discovering parts of your own soul, discovering parts of your own self from within through the darkness really creates a platform where you feel like you earned it. You worked for it. You earned it. And the light that comes at the end of that darkness really would be valued mm-hmm. at that point. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I think that's a good point in what you were saying about working and earning it. When we even say go towards the darkness, it's not this purely passive thing like it might sound that you're just like laying down and giving up. You might actually be doing a lot of work internally, thinking, facing things, exploring, all of that. And, you know, sometimes people will say time heals, and it does. But I also like to say that time heals based on what you do with that time. If you break your leg and you run on it every day, time won't heal your leg because you won't let it heal, right? You sometimes have to actually give your leg time to rest and and have time to heal and grow. And then it can grow back. And actually, sometimes I think bones become stronger after they break, similar to what you're talking about. So it's actually you have to let it heal. And it might be a process of going to see doctors and doing different things. But it's not just that time itself will heal without you doing what's necessary to help yourself heal. And I think that's so important. Right. And, I, and you know, I call that the unwilling sacrifice where you surrender to the feeling of depression, Mm. but you keep your mind and your self-conscious while you're suffering, while you're going through the Mm -hmm, process. mm -hmm. So it's difficult because you don't really want to go through that, but it's important that you really surrender to the feeling, but you keep your mind and and your psyche all conscious and aware of the process. So you know what's happening to you. You know what you're going through Mm -hmm. versus just sitting and allowing yourself to sulk in the misery and the depression with no consciousness, no mindfulness, no action towards the light. Right. That's like, I think that's a great point that it's actually, so it's not about being passive. You're actually being very mindful of the pain. And it reminds me, actually, I was telling my brother about um, some research that was done on what we consider like Olympic level meditators, people who've meditated decades for hours and hours a day. And they found that when they were told that they were going to have a hot iron put on their hand, normal people, people like us who have not meditated to that degree, when we hear we're going to get that, the time before we feel the pain receptors already going because we're anticipating the pain, then the pain comes and we don't like it. And when the pain goes away, we still are dwelling on it. We're still in pain. But it was amazing. And those high level meditators, they found that they said, we're going to put this very painful thing on your hand. Nothing changed in their brain. Like they were just still calm. Then when the pain came, they actually felt it stronger than other people. Like they were in the pain. But then when it went away, they went back to baseline much more quickly than most people. So mm. it kind of reminds you of that. It's like when the pain is there, let yourself feel it, embrace it, go into it. And actually then you might even be better at afterwards moving forward in a different way rather than letting it linger on when you don't actually face the feelings. You know, so I, that to me, it's like a similar connection. We're saying of being mindful. So I think that's why I want people to also get is we're not saying just stay sad and do nothing or it's nothing about you. It's like actually really think about it. Feel what you're feeling. Be aware of what's going on. Explore yourself. What is it telling about you, about relationships that you've been in, about all those things? Because there's so much meaning in it that you can extract, but only if you go and face it and become mindful of what's there. So it's not a completely passive process like it might sound like we're saying when we say it's not just just stay sad to be sad. It's that recognize that there's value. And getting to know parts of yourself, right? The Mm -hmm. the shadow part, the sadness, the 
the suffering, the dark side of your own self, because the feeling exists. We're not making it up. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it comes up and then we tend to avoid it. So if you allow yourself to go into that part of your own self, you'll start to learn a lot of things about yourself that you may not have noticed or had the opportunity to know otherwise. You know, I'm, I don't know how much time we have left, but I did want to mention one thing before this segment mm-hmm. um, ends that, you know, the image of an evergreen tree is really a great one that I keep in mind when I talk about this topic, because it's a tree that survives the winter without dying. Mm. And I think it's, it, you know, just the image of it really helps me understand this process that it can stand tall and endure the cold, the heaviness, the harshness of the winter and it stands strong and still and it gets through and it will wait for spring to come and so it doesn't die it doesn't surrender it doesn't mm. fall apart in the winter it really stands strong yeah. and it waits for spring to come yeah that actually reminds me of a client i'll kind of change the details but of something he was going through depression who's saying i feel like i was this tiger that's now but that tiger is dead within me like that strength and vitality and it just kind of hit me that moment when he said, it's like the tiger wasn't dead. Maybe it was asleep. So right. it wasn't active, but it was still there as in it could, you know, come yeah, out again. Exactly. Or reminds me of like a bear hibernating. The bear's not dead. It's maybe resting or it's not doing anything, but it's mm-hmm. going to come alive again. And it doesn't mean it's gone completely. But sometimes when we're in that pain, it feels that way. And something, you know, I know we want to, I'm going to get to a commercial break, but you were talking about going into the pain and something I've also experienced with clients that have held back their pain for so long that I almost get this feeling of like, they think of their pain as this ocean that if they let it in, it's just going to keep coming and overwhelm them and they'll never get out of it. So if I let myself feel sad, I'll never stop feeling sad. Yeah. If I open that, the Pandora's box, right, exactly. it won't stop. Yeah. And, and it, there's no guarantee. I can't tell you, oh, for sure you'll get over it or it's going to pass. Although we know for most people they'll feel that way, but it does pass. But that feeling can be very intimidating. Of If I let this sadness in, it might overwhelm me. I might not ever overcome it. Maybe there's so much sadness that it'll never stop. And we have to be willing to take that risk. And it almost takes some courage to face that, to be like, I'm not sure I'm going to take this step into the darkness with no guarantee that I'll ever reach the light, but that I think there's some value in going into this darkness and that I'll take that risk anyway. And I think that's courageous. And even with our clients, which we'll talk about in the next um, segment about therapy with depression and finding that value that I always am really touched by clients when they come in to face that darkness not knowing exactly where it's going to take them but recognizing there could be value in that that they're going to go into that darkness um, and so with dr galvin here talking about the value of depression you're listening to in session with dr patty Buckley. We'll right back. welcome back again i'm joined by licensed clinical psychologist dr jennifer galvin and we're talking about the value of depression and uh, we wanted to talk a bit about therapy when it relates to depression and again as we're saying that there's value in depression we're not saying there's nothing you should do or there's nothing that can be done to get the value out of it so it's not about just staying depressed for depression's sake but recognizing there can be value and even in therapy um, getting that value can be very important and I can even share from my own perspective especially earlier on and as I mentioned, Dr. Galvin and I went to grad school together, but I remember when I was first seeing clients and they would cry or they would get down, I would feel this tendency, which is, I think, 
don't want to say it's a natural human tendency. Maybe it's natural in our society to cheer up my clients, like to make them feel good. Right. Or I would think of like, maybe it was a compliment I can give them before they leave today or something. I want them to feel better yeah, when to, they leave. Exactly. And I even, I thought maybe I'm supposed to do that as a therapist. And also I had a hard time probably handling and tolerating their sadness. And that's a way that I felt it took some time to grow even as a therapist to recognize, you know what? When they're down, let them be down. Or even sometimes, you know, I'll tell people like someone will be crying in your office and you just let them cry. You might not even say anything yes. for a minute or two. And you, even though there is sometimes an instinct, should I help? Should I do something? But just giving them that space to cry sometimes can be so valuable and realizing that actually that is giving them something. You don't have to give as in take away their feeling. You can just give them the space to be sad. So that's something that I've recognized as a therapist, I had to realize um, to allow for that and recognize the value in being sad and that knee-jerk reaction of, hey, let's make the mood good. Let me cheer you up. Actually can be doing them a detriment. It might be not as helpful as letting them stay there. I think that's what most people in their lives probably do, mm -hmm, right? Because mm -hmm. it's really difficult to tolerate those feelings. So as a therapist, it really becomes part of your job it's like you mentioned earlier right. it may seem like you're not doing anything but yeah. you're actually working really hard at not mm -hmm. doing anything mm -hmm. by choice yeah um just to be supportive and to be with the patient while they suffer is really a huge value that i think it's undermined and underestimated in therapy so people might leave thinking well the therapist didn't say anything or didn't do anything or i feel even worse or i don't feel any better and you know it's really important to understand what the therapist's role is and what their job is in supporting the patient in this process of self-discovery and finding their own value in their depression. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I always say that the therapist's job is to put lyrics to the music. So the patient presents with the music and it's the therapist's job to really put words and lyrics to it because it's words that make a person feel safer. And mm -hmm. that's why we tell kids stories every night mm -hmm. and we use fairy tales to help explain different things about life to children. It's like having the words makes you feel safer. That doesn't mean you're changing the sound of the music. Right. You're just providing a safer environment, more supportive environment for the patient to be able to go through their own feelings. Right. And even in that way, the words or the lyrics can um, help provide some meaning to the music, which Absolutely. can be a big part of the process. So yeah, it's not that you're taking away the sadness, but again, helping them find the meaning, which you also mentioned this, I think, in the previous segment. The meaning is individual. It's not like this is, when we say the value of depression, it's not one value or right. it's not one meaning, but helping them find it's what's meaning. Own. Exactly. What's their meaning in what they're going through? I remember analogy. Or meanings, you know? Right, and it's of not course. just one or two things. Over the right. process, a lot of things can unfold. Yeah, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because even the way I just said it, it might make it seem like, I think a lot of times people think of therapy in general or um, just what, when we're growing as you find one insight and it's like that magic thing is the thing and it changes. But when we're saying value or meaning, we're talking about a process rather than there's one question that you had to answer. And once you answer it, your depression like melts away or goes away because you found the meaning notes. It's a process and there's meanings and there's a process of meaning that's going on. I really love the um, idea of childbirth in mm -hmm. relation to this topic because, you know, when a woman is going through the process of labor and childbirth, there's a lot of pain involved in that and a lot of suffering involved in that. And I think that, 
you know, the therapist's job is not to be the hero. It's not to take away the pain of the person, but instead to act as a midwife to a natural process. Mm -hmm. So naturally, when you're about to give birth to a child, there's a lot of pain and suffering and loss of control and all sorts of similar feelings to this topic of depression that Mm -hmm. we may have talked about. And it's really about waiting for this moment that you can't control to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, the baby's going to come when the baby's going to come. Nobody can really do much about that unless you use a Band-Aid type of method, right, to cover mm-hmm. the pain or to make it move faster. But, you know, generally speaking, you're waiting for a natural process to occur that you can't control. And so in therapy, the therapist's job becomes to really be a midwife to this process, to really right. support you through this event, through this process of self-discovery and finding the values that you may find in your own depression and to be with you, mm-hmm. run alongside of you as you go through it. Yeah, you said run alongside. I remember actually, I think my first therapist one time had this analogy of he, like how therapy is this very, unfortunately, we feel very alone when we're depressed and isolated and sometimes even a shame. Shame is can be a big part of depression mm-hmm. as well. And that aloneness can, in a way, become the cycle, like the shame and the aloneness feed each other. But that sometimes you're saying it's like the person's in this dark cave and you're just going and sitting next to them in that cave. So you're not even turning on a light in that cave necessarily or changing anything in that, but just being with them in that process. So being with them in that darkness can be the value. And you said something about the hero. And I think it's in therapy or just in general that we sometimes think, well, if someone is down, our job is to save them or to be the hero and pull them out of there. And even sometimes we might have our fantasies, both sides, to be the hero or also have a hero come save us from whatever we're going through. But usually that's not realistic and oftentimes isn't what's going to be the most important for us as far as growth and really getting something out of the process to just be saved in that way and taken away. We can understand, again, the tendency from both sides, the desire to be the hero or to be saved, but really it's usually hurting us more when we play either role and not let people go through the process of sometimes being down and and giving them that space. Right. And I think, you know, we started this conversation this evening talking about how, um, you know, we started off talking about how our society is programming us to think of all the positive things and all the good things and, um, you know, be grateful for everything. And, um, you know, it's, it's, difficult for the people around us to really know how to respond Mm -hmm, to someone mm -hmm. in a state of depression and sadness. And so oftentimes, like you mentioned earlier, they try to pull us out of it. And so the therapist's job becomes the job of tolerating the ambivalence and waiting. And so it's like, they're just, like I mentioned, they're waiting for this natural process to occur and to tolerate the ambivalence and to just sit aside Mm -hmm. someone while they go through it. You know, it's an incubation period where you're It's like, you know, I wrote the example of sitting on an egg, Mm -hmm. you know, it might look like they're not doing anything, but they're actually doing more than it seems that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really, really important that we realize that even the therapist's job is not to pull you out of this state or to make it better or fix it for you. And that really the therapist's job is to provide support and help you build endurance and patience for this process. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes suicide doesn't occur purely just from depression it occurs because the person can't take it anymore they can't they don't have the patience or the endurance to wait 
and go through the mm. process. And so it becomes about praying for endurance and, and patience than trying to remove yourself from that state of depression. Yeah, absolutely. In the way you were almost giving a segue to the book of the week that I'll talk about on Wednesday's show, uh, which is about um, what to do when someone you love is depressed. And of course, it's like there's advice of what to do, but a big part of it's also recognizing what not to do or what you're not responsible for, to think that you have to cheer them up. And oftentimes what will happen is because we feel responsible to cheer the person up, and we can personalize that we're not making them happy or we think we're not making them happy, we then almost shame them for being, being down because we're getting frustrated by them. Like, hey, you're making me feel bad as a partner or as or a parent helpless. or yeah. a friend right. by not getting better. So just get better already. Or it's, right. you know, then we start to do all the things that actually hurt them, blaming them. It's in your head. Or if you just look at the positive, whatever else we might do. But if we personalize, if we take too much attachment in, I need to make this person good, whether you're the therapist, a loved one, whatever it is, we actually can hurt them more than help them by trying to drag them out of it or force them out of what they're feeling. And if they're not able to get to that place that you want to want them mm -hmm. to be in, then mm -hmm. that creates even more feelings of helplessness and powerlessness and shame. So it can actually set the person Absolutely. further into that feeling than mm -hmm. pull them out of it. Exactly. And so, you know, going back to uh, looking at therapy and if you're depressed and you're going to therapy, there are, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy um, is more active in some ways, but a lot of times, uh, if you're doing more of a psychodynamic, and I know Dr. Jennifer Galvin practices more in that type of modality, you might see that your therapist isn't just going to try to make you change things. It's going to be more about getting you to face what you're actually feeling. So uh, you also mentioned this. I think it's such an important point that oftentimes when you go to therapy, you feel worse before you feel better. Right. And many people think, well, why am I going to therapy to feel worse? It's that you're bringing up and facing feelings that you've likely been avoiding. Right, and so, down. Exactly. And that won't necessarily feel good. Just like if you go get a teeth cleaning, your mouth might hurt a little bit because they're poking at stuff and gums and things. And you might not like that, but it's that they're cleaning stuff up. And so if you didn't go, you might not have felt that pain, but it doesn't mean that they're hurting you. They're actually helping you. So the therapy can feel like this paradoxical thing where you feel worse, but it's that there is value in facing that pain and bringing up the, that hurt and those hurt feelings that can be so valuable. Yeah. And just, you know, to add to the therapy component, I think a couple other things that are really, really important that can help with this process of going through the depression is being out in nature. I mean, I think mother mm. nature offers a lot more than we give her credit for. And just being outdoors and being in nature really does create an environment where peace and some cure can come out of the mm -hmm, depression mm -hmm. or even just reflecting on the value of the depression and the feelings while out in nature is huge. And I think another important um, aspect that can help with this process is animals. I think, you know, animals are very predictable. A golden retriever today is a golden retriever tomorrow, whereas people may not be as predictable and reliable. And so using animals in whatever capacity that feels comfortable to help you carry the feeling of sadness mm -hmm. is also really helpful. Yeah. And I think that the way you said that last point is also important. So we're not saying make yourself more sad or you shouldn't ever do anything that feels good if you're depressed because you need that. You need to still function and do lots of things, but that it's also still recognizing that your only goal shouldn't be turning away from the pain or the sadness and recognize that there is value in that. And I think, um, you know, working with clients who are depressed in therapy can be really intense, but also so meaningful to see them 
go through that pain and face it and see the value that's there and get more in touch with themselves, which then also helps them get more in touch with others. Something, you know, I'm looking at the time we have to wrap up in about 30 seconds, but um, there's also, you know, a lot of people will say that people who are more depressed are better with empathy because they've connected to their own pain. They're better at connecting to the pain of other people. And that itself probably could be a whole other show that we do. But that's so when you get in touch with your own pain, it's actually easier for you to be there for others, as we're saying before. You understand it better. Exactly. And you have more tolerance for it. So um, there is value in many different ways. But the more you connect yourself in your own pain, it actually can improve your relationships. First, the relationship with yourself, but also your romantic relationships, your familial relationships, whatever it might be, because you can connect on that level. But we do have to wrap up um, for tonight. Dr. Jennifer Galvin, thank you so much for joining me again tonight. Thank you so much for having me. We'll have you back on soon. But tonight we talked about the value of depression, recognizing that there can be uh, something there that we shouldn't just think of depression and sadness as something to avoid, but that there can be value in going into the feelings and facing them, embracing them and seeing how we come out the other side. So again, a big thanks to Dr. Jennifer Galvin. I'll give you her office number again is 818-538-5200. A big thank you to Amir here in the studio and everyone listening out there. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fahid Alakwi. Have a wonderful night.